welcome to episode five of Basecamp Beta. Today you've got me, Chris, and me, Sean, and our special guest, Nick Klein. Thank you. Nick uh, is a, for anyone who doesn't know him, producer, <laughs> DJ. No. No, you're not a DJ. No. <laughs> I you, wish. Fuck. I wish I was. It was going to happen. You're not not a DJ. You have DJed. Well, I guess what's the... You've I, DJed on the radio a lot. Contextually, I, I don't... I'm not like a... I, I, I feel like I would be a, doing a disservice to people like you guys that like... You guys DJ. Yeah. I, I, I like mean, records a lot. Right. It's, it's I literally cannot... I study You like records so much that you have a label. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's in flux right now, but I, I've, I've been running... <laughs> Running, trying to put stuff out for friends for a while, but uh, well, you ran primitive languages for five years, four or five with Miguel, yeah, and then recently you guys split the labels up into Psychic Liberation and Pain, Pain Records, yeah. Miguel's interested in more of like a streamlined. I think Miguel's just interested in putting himself out and having like a a good control of his aesthetic and his and his uh, output. It seems like a lot of labels in the way that trends fluctuate. Uh, just kind of have like slept on him, and he's like the best. He's like the best. M- Miguel is incredibly, he's incredibly talented. Good. And you should uh, give his Enrique. artist names. Enrique. And Enrique. Enrique. Miguel mm-hmm. Enrique Alvarino. Enrique. He is because on this podcast we're going to start using a lot of first names. Yeah, yeah. a lot and yeah. so for context, just to. And so uh, Miguel is doing uh, pain records to put out Enrique, and I think whoever is sort of like really really tighten it. Uh, I'm doing Psychic Liberation to kind of continue the agenda of what happened with Primitive Languages, which was... Um, more far-flung, more yeah, open format. Yeah, I like music a lot, and uh, you know that's kind of a given. But the idea with that was to somehow sort of trace experientially with all the... To- like the Torian traveling and sort of the East Coast and, and to Midwest and West Coast... DIY, whatever that even fucking means anymore, networks, um, how there could be uh, parallels between like you, Sean, and then fucking uh, Miguel or uh, someone like Just the Right Hype. But I think what we were doing for a while kind of died uh, largely, or it's just shifted. Mm. I think you, you get a little older and then like, I don't, I feel like the old guy. In the, in the oh, middle. I know and, what it's like to feel like the old guy, and I'm not even that old, and so it like just starts feeling like fucking ridiculous, and um, and so yeah, the, the, the now psychic liberation is to continue that, expand out into an eclectic, but not like I'm not gonna put out like rock bands or something like that. I'm not maybe really you will, maybe I maybe I will, but garage rock's coming back in 2019. Never never died. There's no garages in New York though, so no. <laughs> Unless you're really fucking rich, and if you're really rich, you're probably in a garage rock band. So now, now there's there's a truth bomb. But that's like a useless hot take. So um, there are garages in like Mill Basin, you know. Yeah, Flushing. There's some Flushing. Yeah, there's some definitely garages. garages in Queens. Yeah, there's really expensive garages in Manhattan. I don't know. I don't. My license got suspended here <laughs> in, in New York. <laughs> um, Delinquent, some delinquent tickets, so I don't use garage as much. Garage. Yes, as 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 the uh, as the British say, and 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 now since you are British. located, yeah, you're you're British essentially because <laughs> you're the you're, Netherlands is just another British colony, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm gonna get kicked out. <laughs> this is gonna air like the day my my immigration <clears throat> paperwork hails. Uh, decline for for, for 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 audience. Uh, Clarity, uh, you did just move from New York, where you lived for five or six years, yes. to, uh, seven to the years. Netherlands. Seven, seven years. years, sorry. This time it was seven years. I lived here in... I lived here in 2006, 2007. I worked at Merce Cunningham Dance Company for a while, doing okay. ar- archival work there. I'm uh, sure you've mentioned to me before, but... Yeah, but that was like... I was too young to really like... like I had no... Like coming from Florida to New York... I was a dumbass, and I had no conception of like what I actually had to do to be here. So I went back to you know right. Florida, went to school briefly, then eventually came back here again. Wow. But you'll be so, back. You'll be back. New York always drags you back. Okay, back in the New York groove. 
Um, not to get you off the, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, it's funny. You, it's funny to have that conversation because I don't know how to classify it at this point. Like, I feel like I just like going and playing live. I'm almost not enjoying, like, refer- I'm not a producer. Right. I am, but I'm not, like, good at it. I'm uh, good at playing live, I think. Yeah, you see yourself as, like, a live act. Yeah. Com- yeah. Live act Nick Klein is on the show today. <laughs> there we go. Live. <laughs> live. And gently edited. But I, I do like records. I do like music a lot. And that is why we're here today. It's one of many bonds we share. You said that, you know, when, when, I, when I mentioned the label, you said, uh, well, you know, I, I, I have this label because I like music, obviously. Right. And I, I feel like... It's not so obvious. Right. I feel like it's not yeah. so obvious, you know? <laughs> I feel... I don't know. It's, well, it's probably a given that anyone who we have on the show is a, a bit of a music fan. But well, yeah, of course. But yeah, I think I think there is a there's a broader question here is like like who who does genuinely love music in 2019? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take anyone's inventory. I think uh Yeah, also, no, not to not not No, to, no, but also fuck them cuz it's like at the same time you're it's weird to have a label at this point <clears throat> facing the fact that like there's like shortages of tape. Um machination machinery is like this like uh thing that's shortening uh vinyl production seems to be done so i don't know what the role of a label is well and the the recent bombshell that that uh you know streaming platforms are actually more environmentally damaging than uh than vinyl yeah yeah i i I, the whole thing is a conundrum even vinyl well i mean vinyl is what like petroleum byproduct yeah Yeah, i mean it's literally just Polluting. It's it's fucking ridiculous. Like that's a byproduct. You know, it's yeah, like there's it's, no. <laughs> it's petro music. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's it's uh, just as morally apprehensible as anything else. So, um, but no, like 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 the like like I just said, like the one of the recent bombshells was that uh, we discussed this on the last podcast, but um, <clears throat> that uh, Spotify server farms uh, consume they 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 emit more GHGs than. Uh, than production and distribution of physical music media. Hold on, I'm gonna cancel my Spotify <laughs> Spotify <laughs> premium account. I've got all you guys downloaded in my offline play section too. Gone. <laughs> um, so no, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that does bring up the big question: is like, what, like, what do you make as a musician in 2019? What does one make? Uh, I mean, yeah, being a live act, like specifically is is not a bad start at least you know to say hey well my music is you know playing a playing a live show is a lot less resource intensive i guess minus, it depends. The, minus the carbon footprint of travel yeah, it depends on how well, far you, you travel I mean, you can deconstruct i mean we're in this tricky situation where you can deconstruct it to the point so what are you gonna you just like move to i don't know like north dakota and like bang on a djembe like right. i don't how, know how, like how, i don't know what. how far off the grid can you go yeah so like beyond that sort of level of conversation mm. the reason i like playing live and i'm a little bit at odds with it it's interesting we're here together having this conversation now because I, this is like a recent conundrum of mine is the reality of the form of the music the dance culture and techno and the way this sort of manifests socially uh form the, the form of it kind of relies on records. It relies on DJs. But if you're sort of against commodity, you say you are, re, you know, regularly. Playing live is a way, and especially with me, I have sort of frameworks. No set is the same. And so sometimes it can really crash and sometimes it can be really positive. But um, playing live is a way to sort of skirt that issue, even the little things you can do a little bit more, I guess, if that makes any kind of sense. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember um, I remember learning a lot about the dawn of recorded music, and I and I let me like take a second to like collect my thought. But um, I I've always kind of there. There's been this thing in like the back of my brain, um, this like itch I can't quite scratch, which is that perhaps like 
recorded music is the big original sin of this whole thing, that that was the start of commodified music. Um, you know, before recorded music, you had basically the musician was a local musician. Um, you had these sort of uh, disparate communities all with their own sort of very specific music musical vernaculars. Um, and with the dawning of recorded music and most importantly, uh, copyright um, laws, um, you, you sort of had this thing where now no longer did you have just kind of like musicians in every town playing sort of like variations and weird sort of local turns on each other's music but there was not one sort of owner of that music to then well the publisher of like notated music probably was i have why well, i actually don't know yeah you could be right i, yeah, I mean no, no no notated music definitely would predate right uh, but sort of like music as sort of like music's uh, commodity form yeah sure. but sort of um, like a sort of generally as like folk yeah. songs i mean you, you just I, I, think, have, I think you have a very i i don't totally agree i i, I love this thread I don't totally agree with your your assertion here. Right, I'm not. I'm not, you, I'm not totally a, convinced of it, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> right, I, I, no, I, no, but I see what you're. Those no, are my favorite. Well, this, is, very, favorite this is like the petroleum in the record. It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, this is it. It's been in my brain, and I'm like, I can't square the fact uh, yeah, that yeah, I yeah. love buying records and love music and putting it out with the fact that I think there is something deeply wrong there, and like it's it was that, and like the record industry that begat sort of uh, you know. Copyright laws. Yeah, like yeah. That, I was going to say. I think. I think there's a very there's a very important point there tracing the development of of, of IP with the the kind of the dawn of, of recorded music. Right. And um, so I think that I th like I think that, I think that it, th there is a very tight tight uh, synergistic development there. And I think sort of um, Nick getting back to like the idea of well, like I am a pro I am, well I'm I'm not a producer as much as I am a live performer. That sort of foregrounding the live performance instead of the record or whatever, I feel like that sort of, I mean, we are all kind of okay because we're generally improvising up there and we're not like using a lot of samples necessarily. Um, so, you know, we can avoid sort of copyright things. Um, but I think that starts to get, I don't know, it starts to like, it, to me at least it brings up these questions of, um, you know, the use of recorded music, um, the distinguish, the distinguishment between a production and a live set, and maybe you know, being a live performer first and foremost, and the record being a sort of uh, less than or sort of uh, you know. Um, I think it also touches at some of the uh, the the kind of inherent friction between self as brand and self as commodity, and then you know, kind of self as artist or performer. Sure. Yeah. Um, Right. I think I, you know, I can't speak to, I guess, sort of the general history of like the encyclopedic facts of, of, uh, I guess the, the way like the, the party functions or something like that. I think the record is really, for me, I just have these two independent practices and, and I rely on the live as it's been thinking about uh, career versus job, right? Vocabulary, you right. know. Right. Well, yeah. You, you mentioned that one of the things you wanted to, to kind of uh, explore on the podcast was well, we spoke about it was careerism. Yeah, because I don't. On one hand, moving over to the Netherlands could be uh, something that gives me a leg up to be somewhat financially sure. Yeah, and I'm not like not like doing well, but I can. I cannot work construction, for instance, or right. something like that. You could make a, a, a almost reasonable living off of two, three, four gigs a month. Yeah, um, yeah, and and so I, I don't want to say that like careerism is this like horrible thing, but what I do find interesting is the way that the amount of, um, I guess, like complaining that I I hear about the, the the action, and then within that like when you identify as a DJ or when you identify as a live artist or when you identify as a producer, how does this like uh, kind of rubric of entitlement uh, sort of spill out? <laughs> and that's like a really pessimistic and cynical place, right. <laughs> but I really think it's interesting because it's like, I, I think it has implications about how we have uh, relatability to each other and how we have presence in the experience of the, 
the party, which could have these like wildly wonderful, uh, rev like utopian revolutionary uh, ideas inherent in it, you know. But uh, it gets very weird with this job. I think people forget that like sometimes a career is a job and a job sucks. And so, you you know, like... It's always going to suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think, one thing that, that a, a lot tangent, of... Sorry. A lot of... Um, a lot of people who... A lot of people, especially a lot of Americans who approach dance music, <clears throat> they achieve enough kind of, uh, you know, clout to, like, start pursuing it as something of a, a stable source of income. Uh, realize just how how brutal it is to pursue as as your like as a real source of income it's it's the work is very hard it's very alienating the hours are long and like you know you know yes you get paid quite well for the gig itself but when you account for all the the hours transportation <clears throat> practice etc like you're not making good money <laughs> well and you know if let's say you're working i mean that's like a 1 to 2 hour job like per week, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in, in what you're getting paid for. So, this is but, once saying, you, yes. but once you expand it, yeah, like like Sean's saying, over the travel and all this, yeah, um, it gets to be. But boohoo traveling, you know what I mean? This is sort of the other. Like, of course, I, I'm I'm, I'm yeah, being yeah, very yeah. devil's advocate, but it's like, it's like fuck. You get oh fuck, I gotta travel to the Ukraine. No, of to, course, yeah, to yeah, yeah, Play yeah. in front right. of 800 people, bummer. Like, right, right, like right, right. I demand. <laughs> I got a I got a DJ in front of all these people tonight. Like fuck. Like I just don't have. I have to go get drunk and eat good food. And I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, somebody's got to like and do something be I ostensibly love. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't. Maybe that's a real broad painted stroke, but I I do find it very interesting. You know, like, and you can't really have these conversations without um, without people feeling like a brand is attacked or something like that, and. Uh, all this kind of vocabulary just feels very, very icky, icky to me. So I don't know. What do you mean without without a, a brand being attacked? Yeah, you can't talk about broader issues. You can't criticize how uh, entitlement or like politicality is is at odds or there's like a, there's tensions with these things with, uh, without, I don't know. You, you can't, you can't go there. You can't have those kinds of, without, not, without somebody feeling like their angle in how they are getting by with this activity is attacked. And so then there's a culture of like, not of just bullshit going. I mean, I think you're touching on something that, yeah, I mean, in the age of uh, sort of, social media, I think there's a dynamic that always happens, which is that if someone makes a general statement, because we're trained to sort of be very like hyper online individuals, we're like, oh, that person's talking about me, right. you know? Whereas mm. you, I mean, you haven't, you, this is just a thing in your brain. You're not thinking about particular people. You're sort of looking at larger trends. Um, and so when you say, oh, this kind of sucks, this dynamic kind of sucks, then yeah, I mean, you, you you get a lot of individuals who you know feel personally attacked. When yeah, they, because when there they, wasn't a personal attack yeah. intended whatsoever. Because they're like, oh well, I could see how he might be thinking about me, and I know Nick, so fuck. Duh, what I you know what I do to piss you <laughs> right. off, dude? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly not trying to like have like a biographical spin on that part of it, but yeah, I mean that that does that is that that has real sort of professional. And curatorial, uh, ink. uh, what do we have here? What was it like when you, uh, what was your musical experience before you came to New York? Like, what was your, like, when you, what was the first, like, kind of show you played? Like, or DJ'd or something? What was your first, like, event? I'm very curious. Well, let's talk about your first experiences <laughs> first, because Chris and I both have a lot of boring shit to say. Yeah, so. yeah. I just don't think the listeners of this really give a shit about like, like, uh, you know, going to like Churchill's in Miami at 2003 and seeing, you know, some shitty punk band or something. Um, but I, my, my first experiences were being younger. I, I grew up, I, I lived in West Palm beach and it's an hour North of Miami. 
Miami's a big city, but it's not in a lot of ways. Right. Um, West Palm Beach is a place that I, I booked bands because there was nothing else to do. So through message board cultures of different styles, there was a lot of punk that came through. Uh, so from 14 on, I had access to my parents' dance studio. I booked a lot of bands. Over time, you know, punk is very uh, arrested kind of, uh, yeah. you know, thing. And so more music styles develop, you know, people come in. And uh, eventually I get to Miami and I'm, I have a real interest in noise and electronic music at large. And the, the sort of the two of those things happening at the same time, uh, so predominantly, was like uh, like free music coming from people like Rat Bastard. And then, uh, you know, you have someone like Romulo Ducasio. Right. You know, from Schematic Records having something or Greg Beto DJing. Things like this. So, or also just sort of the, the music at large in that city is like, were you saying about electro earlier? The heritage of Miami bass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's just like there. So that's, that's my start. Like that's like the brief synopsis of, and that's like where, that's where I get this chip on my shoulder about hearing people f- complain so much because I don't understand the work ethic or the rubric that people have that justifies these entitlements. Like, and I don't have a specific thing, but there's a feeling in the air that like, I should be paid this much. Travel should be this. The accommodation should be this. And it's like, that's just not reality in any other subset of, of musical performance or something. It's definitely not the reality of like, you know, you're a, you're a, Band in 2019 going on tour. Well, I, started, I don't even in the know US, that, you know, where you have to like, or the or the reality of working a normal day job, or or right? Of course, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, to like, a certain yeah, degree, like, you know, uh, take it from, yeah. But I mean, I know bands who like, yeah. I mean, they're like, okay, we're going on tour, and their tour is uh, 40 stops. In <laughs> oh a yeah, month, yeah, yeah. No, of course. You know, a month or two. You know, playing. Uh, you know, they and they get paid. You know, they split the. Yeah, they split uh, one hundred and thirty dollars exactly at the end of the night. five yeah. ways. See, this no, I mean I've I've, I've, I've I've toured in bands. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean <laughs> it's it's I mean it's super fun if you are twenty three, twenty five, whatever, and just yeah, like, yeah. go on the road and get fucked up. But it's not fun. It's it's right. really it's brutal. Do you think that's why so many people started playing electronic? Like I absolutely think that the rise of electronic music is tied to the collapse of the. The, the end of the financial tenability of the band as like a a, a mobile economic unit. This is like it's I not th- possible now. Right, so. you're just one person. I think so. that's in like a makeup or Weird War record where there's a whole Savonius thing about that. Uh, yeah, or even like the the producer role. Like, if you're producing and that record gets pressed, then you're accountable for that inf- that cathartic sonic experience. But that takes away from even the collect. Like my first time I got to the privilege of doing a record, uh, I didn't have a computer, so I would record to the four track, not out of aesthetic interest, but necessity. That's what you you did, yeah. Yeah, and then Alex Suarez, uh, who does Cienfuegos, would dump all that and offer me like, okay, well, here's like an EQ thing. You know, so, and somehow I feel like there's like this, no, yeah, that that distancing of the the individual, uh, the autonomous thing is like, it's a little little fetishized, I think. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it just feels weird to me because you, you have a lot of people, I think, who sort of, I mean, and this is not just in electronic music or dance music or whatever. Um, this is a sort of much larger societal problem, but people who just think that, you know, they did everything. Like the results of their effort is like purely the result of their effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> whereas even in, I mean, so even in something like electronic music, like, Okay, sure. Yeah, you're just one person. Yeah, let's see how far that gets you. If, you know, if you're totally like, you know, an asshole to everyone, and you know, just like remove yourself from, you know, no, like you need people to put out your records. You need, uh, you know, yeah, that, you need promoters to book you. You need, yeah, exactly. I mean, and you need so agents to assist, like, you know, I mean, you don't need agents, but yes, yeah, yeah, you need yeah, an yeah, audience. Even that. <laughs> yeah, Rochelle just said, uh, and you need people to come to the shows. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, mean, it's a yeah, it's very a basic need, fucking need, thing. But you need friends to steal your beers at the in the backstage. <laughs> That's the most important. The backstage that everyone gets all the time that they play <laughs> <laughs> with beer there. Um. Well, that, like 
that, that is one of the nicer things about not playing in the States, right? That you often do actually have the backstage and occasionally even have the beers. No, man, you know, this, this is the thing about it for me is like, no, it's, it, I think maybe six, seven years ago, there was a peak where it seemed like people were getting to take advantage of these incredible situations. Like, like there was this resurgence and there's a, you and I spoke about this before. It was this indification to the technofication of the of the music business experience in in New York or something. You know, people were in bands, and so then it sort of the it, it switches over to this like techno professional. Yes, yes, strata. I, I think I think well, like yeah, like like tying into the earlier point that you know I think the rise of electronic musics in the states has in no small part to do with the the you know right. The, the cultural death of rock and roll, but also the, the like, untenability of being in a rock band. Um, accompanying that uh, has been a shift, I think, towards um, a certain kind of professionalization. Yeah. Which electronic music lends itself to. Where I think- people expect a certain kind of seamlessness. They expect this music to pre- be presented in a certain way. And uh, people get angry when, it's, when, when that's not delivered. Which yeah. is something that doesn't happen in in rock contexts. Oh, it I probably does, but I. I mean, not, well, I, well, I guess if you're, you know, if you're PC worship, probably has a hard time playing to some some kinds. Of, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't know. I think you're on uh, a downswing. You're on the downswing. I think. I think the trend. Well, we are definitely on a downswing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Yeah, we're all us uh, personally. <laughs> us. Uh, yeah. Exactly. As a music culture, us as a civilization, we are all on. It's a, all. <laughs> it's all trending down and. Uh, <laughs> I just think those big gigs are, are they happen every once in a while, but they're not I don't think outwardly they are they don't look they're not as prevalent as people would assume. I think yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I, I mean I mean I I would say that you know uh DJs probably experience just as many shitty Okay, you know, gigs as I I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like As someone who who has probably historically well as far as being a touring act, I've, I've played live more than DJing. And I would say that live has generally lower lows and higher highs. Right, yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's, that's fair, pretty yeah. fair. Um, <clears throat> that when you're playing live, especially when you do you know, predominantly improvised music like we all do, when you're playing live and you're totally in the zone and the crowd is with you, it's, it's like the greatest musical experience possible um, as a performer. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of things that can go wrong and a lot of, uh, depths much lower than that, that you, you, you hit pretty fast. Do you um, think it's, do you think it's too much to ask of a, so the beauty of electronic music is it for me is it's, uh, it's sort of democratic implementation, like all kinds of people, all kinds of walks of life. Again, like it's utopian, uh, perspective can come do you think it's too much to expect of that audience uh to put up with this uh loosely skeletally improvised form i don't think so i mean i think we generally give the unwashed masses a uh a raw deal a raw deal (laughs) yeah i mean i or you know i i think we give the i give i think you know because okay we're all music heads we are weird people who spend way too much time with music, um, listening to it, making it, whatever. Um, I, I, I do generally think that your average music fan who just kind of uh, likes music, but it, it's not their sort of life, I, I think they're far more adventurous than, than people generally give them credit for, yeah. especially promoters um I, I i do think as a as a live act people tend <clears throat> to be more understanding that what you are doing is going to have different parameters than than a dj so people are i think a little more forgiving of the live act they're like well it's live so it's going to be whatever um which i think is also one more reason that playing live in those contexts can be a little more rewarding yeah when right. you yeah, win you, you, you win yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been there where you finish playing a set and to a crowd that you did not think was going to be receptive. And afterwards, people are like, 
that was incredible. How were you making that? Well, like, the, the, I'm, you know, and that experience is, that, that is an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it's just that, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of about knowing your audience and knowing what's up. But I think in general, in general, people are, you know, interested in, in weird music and, and there was kind of a... I personally feel my time in New York is, was like Sisyphean in that I had access to, uh, the space, uh, five, you know, 538 was a space where, uh, there was a lot of room for growth. Uh, and it, it got to the recently last year, two, two years, a lot of people started coming out and being supportive. And then I would enter into a formal club zone and I felt often like a liability. And I wonder if that's just structurally how it's been historically here or if, cause you know, you hear these stories about like back in the day we would just do like a, you know, flyer, and then we would fill a McDonald's, and we'd have a rave at the McDonald's, <laughs> right. you know, in, in the Bronx, and it was fucking, you know, you know, and I, I, I can't help but like, and you know, you know, those motherfuckers were train wrecking every single one of those one forty eight PM <laughs> records too. <laughs> I hope so. I feel a lot better about myself. It was not a professional. No, I think again, this touches on the the the, the nature of the professionalization of uh, of 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 every facet of music. Every facet of, of metropolitan areas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, feeling like you have um, at your fingertips access to like so much culture and so much, but just yeah. not having the, the resources to actually indulge in any of it. I th the other side of it for me is that I don't want to give too much power to New York. Like, clearly it has a vast history of incredible output that came at various circumstantial uh, variables that allowed it to be that way. But like, there's a big fucking country in the United States that I feel like people often overlook. And there's parties in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Richmond. Are, 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 are we getting to the New York shit, shit talk episode? No, I, I've been shit talking since we started. <laughs> and, I'm, and I like it here. Like, I've, no, you know, no. like I've gotten a lot. I would never be sitting here. I wouldn't be friends with you guys if I, you know, there's a lot of good things about it. But there's also like, there's so much, there's so much else out there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's uh, and most and all of it gets a short shrift yeah. to New York. Yeah. Um, it's not talked about. It's not, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I just I don't think you can build a healthy music scene without a lot of scenes all over the place. You know, um, and I and I think. We do ourselves a disservice. I mean, you know, it, it was the joke all the time that people, oh, okay, well, I want to do techno or whatever. I'm going to move to New York, and then I'm going to move to Berlin. Right. right you know? Right, right. And I mean, you're moving from fucking Brooklyn to Brooklyn, too. It's exactly. Insane. You know, if you want to build a music scene, I and I know it's going to be hard, but try to build it where you are. Right, you know, try right. to build it with the yes, community. Bravo, yes. And, you know, it'll happen or at least you'll build something worthwhile. Or you'll be this mythological figure in the dusk riding off uh, that like, oh yeah, you remember that guy, he had uh, 240 records in a distro in the back of his Mitsubishi Outlander. Both of those. <laughs> he would go to the... <laughs> yeah. You know, like this is... <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. That's like um, <laughs> did we did we did we solve the problems of careerism? No, uh, we will when we leave here. Uh, meaning here can be a multiple of metropolitan areas. We relocate in a communal zone where we can <laughs> sustainably uh, share each other's art with each other, teach each other how to build synthesizers, record, bake make bread, food. Bake bread. Break bread, hell yeah! Fucking make wine, you know this kind of expansive uh, hippie nonsense. Yeah. If I die, you guys can have my bones and inscribe the age age them for sixty five million years yes. until they become petroleum. And thanks, Nick. That's really nice. <laughs> if if you die, I like just that. mark it so down. <laughs> just mark it down now. It's, so if I, if I ever die, guys, if if it, just if that happens, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You guys ever listen to comedy podcasts? Um, I, I it, listen to no podcasts. I, I, I listen to a couple of podcasts. I, I've been obsessed with working and listening to 
comedians talk to each other because the level of the high and low ratio in that experience is so like ridiculously comparable to to being a musician. Yeah, and that's like kind of the only zone where uh, you know this sort of thing is like really articulated and such a intimate that makes sense like comedians go out to try material and they find that 90 percent of it bombs and then they're like oh this and even two jokes there was something there but i clearly have a lot of work yeah yeah and even like like sort of the networking structure of how people uh get to you know exist on a any kind of circuit It's, it's really you know the political and petty in the same way as the exactly. music world is. It, and it, and, and yeah. there's nothing you get out of it other than the pure rush, which I think up until a certain, like it took me a long time to get uh, enough money to get like an Uber home after a show. And I think that's like also like a comedian's experience. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Which I think this is, this is like a cool podcast be- or whatever. It's a cool discussion series. It's a podcast. Be- well, I don't know how many. There's not enough of them like this. There's not enough like. I don't know. I, I like point you should, afterwards. You should point me to some some comedy podcasts with it that really get into that because that actually sounds. Comedians are assholes, though. Yeah, they're, no, they're terrible. They're terrible yeah, people, I mean, uh, which I like. But you know, sore musicians. Yeah, exactly. So. We're we're all shit yeah. people. I mean, <laughs> um, the the, the 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 parallels are really interesting there. I I. I I like that. They're wonderful parallels, and they form these bond. Like, there's a lang. I mean, I guess with that, at the there's a literal vernacular and language that they speak. That's how they communicate. But there's a subtext I think that is reached through their dialogue that is similar to the way that when we play, you know, you two, my you three, uh, you know, any, any any other person doing what we do might be able to pick up on and intuit something. So. Ah, uh, this podcast stresses me out because <laughs> I'm 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 like age wise I'm like I would be the equivalent of the little brother that like would hang out in the corner of the room like you know like damn like cool I get you know, like I think right. of my little brother you know he got to hang out and I was a, I was and I'm not encyclopedic with the music and I would never. I like I would you know if we if this was a country podcast or a digital reggae one, but you you could have you could have selected you could select oh, country or digital on. reggae absolutely I mean digi reggae we can we can riff on that's one of Chris's wheelhouses so. yeah well I thought I would I would submit three things that formed uh, my personal electronic music interests and how they, they were very specific experiences. Uh, that, uh, you know, might not be heralded as, uh, important to most, but they are to me. And well, no, that's like, like we discussed often, but that's one of the kind of core tenets of the show is that, uh, you know, we're very, very anti-canon or about personal canons. My personal um, canon, it's kind of disjointed. If we start here with the, uh, the Robert Hood, uh, what is it? Nighttime, night world. It's from uh, off Nighttime World on cheap. Yeah, Nighttime World. I can't remember the track. The title track. It's it's D, it's the D one. See that? So that side of the record, I'm not even going to get into the other the other track on that one because I'm I it's too too uncomfortable for me to say. But that side of the record, um, if you play electronic music in America, if you play actually any music on the East Coast, you're probably familiar with Carborough or Chapel Hill. And this guy, Charlie Heron. Charlie Heron is part proprietor of uh, The Nightlight, which is a venue that has hosted many, many people. And he's also, I believe, co-owner of the wonderful All Day Records. Bravo. Uh, Which, it's a, for anyone, it's a crucial stop. He's a good human being. And over the years, I had the pleasure of becoming a great friend with him, um, someone I, I, I can count on to have a beer with and relax and talk and be turned on to new things. Um, there was a time when he went on vacation and I sat sifting through his fantastic record collection on his fantastic uh, record or stereo system uh, in his home while I was watching his chickens. Unfortunately, one of the chickens died probably because... I was listening to this record too much, uh, this side specifically. So this is Untitled One, and it is 
I mean, I, for me, it's perfect music. It's the first time that I, you know, I had been privileged enough to get to make a record, but when I heard this and really delved into it, this is what felt like this is techno or something to me. Like this to me was, ah, this was the aha moment for me. where this was everything I needed uh, in a recording. This and that Marcellus Pittman, there's somebody out there, were two things that, they're, it's perfect music to my sensibilities. And so I, I just, I love this. And that's, that's my feelings on, on that. And also, you know, experientially sitting, laying down stoned out of my ass on a brown rug listening to it on I know that rug it's a you, good everyone, rug <laughs> if you, most people know this rug it's, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's an important rug <laughs> so um yeah no uh I I love this whole record uh I think cheap is still bizarrely kind of a weirdly underrated label hugely underrated um I it's it seems it's it's, just, it's crazy that cheap does not get the props that it does because like the entire idea of the entire notion of what we think of as a certain a certain strain of minimal techno comes from from in large part this this label um, and th this record obviously a huge a huge part of it too. Um, I've heard you describe a certain era of New York minimal techno as like this like dark time that existed. Oh, this that's the minimal oh, MM yeah that's like the sort of micro house yes. glitch and, yeah. and and also the like the <laughs> oh, Jesus. also the like the minus era minimal hmm. which I I, I, I loop I, I the minimal without the vowels. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that stuff is uh, I think almost unrelated to this strain of minimal techno. Cool. Yeah, I've um, always just I've always actually this is a, I'm glad we're having this conversation uh, documented now. Uh, because I've always been sort of confused by that part. Well, it's actually kind of funny because, so when I grew up, um, by the time I was sort of a person who was consuming his own music and thought of himself as a, as a music guy, you know, that's sort of around the beginning of high school, I think, for a lot of people. Um, by that point in my life, I'm, I'm young, so, so techno was that minimal that sort of like, yeah, minus sort of thing. Um, that's just what I was exposed Cadenza, to. is that the little Cadenza, little, little, yeah. yeah, that was all exposed. I mean, I, but it, it's funny that you have this huge thing with Rob Hood because I feel it too, because there were a couple of records Rob Hood did, um, the Hood music records. Um, I heard those and I was like, okay. And then I sort of, started listening to Rob Hood, Internal Empire, and Minimal Nation. Yeah, and, and for me, that was when a, a switch was flipped in my moment. brain. So, so Rob Hood was both of your aha moments, really. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I, I mm. wish I could... This track in particularly synthesizes a, a spirit and an idea that finally I had an aesthetic vision, a formula, a template to at least refer back to that felt like something I could hear all day. For me, this this track in particular reminds me, of all of Hood's other tracks, this reminds me of Minus. Mm. Um, which, for me, that was the track that I heard where I was like, this is psychedelic. This is something else. This, this is, is like, this is something different. This is... Well, it, it, it manages to be as abstract, as psychedelic, but also straight-up dance music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was... It, you know, maybe a little inverted in the in the sense that <clears throat> so much between like my interest in noise culture and uh, sort of the the rhythmic electronic music that came out of it, there was all of the. It felt like like compress. It was like like that track was like not as far out, and it was just like here's three things. That's all. You're good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, the other track that I wanted to share was this, this Japanese, like, weird kind of funk group, Ep4. The song's called Robot Hood Process.
had to give my brother a ride to Ohio. Car broke down. I ended up stranded, homeless. Essentially learned how to drink. And this is at the time when you could, when media fire links were still really prevalent. You could find incredible releases. And I was just in Ohio at this, the depths of this, this winter. It had to have been 2009 and just inundated with learning how to drink, you know, this time in your life when you just kind of push it and, and, and listening to this and it's just so tight. It's like the most incredible, uh, band music that I would love. Should I, uh, get the opportunity to DJ in a real capacity? I would love to get to play this. It's, uh, it's a cool track. I was totally unfamiliar. Do you know anything else about F4? Like, no, know? completely one of these things that you, you, you're... Was this like a random like mutant sounds find or yeah, something? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I remember... Yeah, it was just another one. Of, I, I was into these, these sort of weird uh, prog comps at the time. That, okay. And, and this was just one of the things in the batch. It was, I believe it was on... On some weird like death metal skaters blog spot or something, kick to kill. Oh yeah, and it, it, it's just a great record. It's like from start to finish, perfect, perfect like ensemble funk, Japanese people ripping. You know, not that we want to like <laughs> stress how much worse things are now than they were back then, but you're never going to get hip to something like that from 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 some death, de death metal skaters Instagram. No, we have a. Uh, uh, a new guest on the show as of Katie's Woo! 10 seconds ago. Katie! She made it over after her, her, her shift at work. Hi, Katie. Hi. I didn't know you were going to make me talk on the mic. Thanks. You got a cool jacket. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a trench coat, yeah. Trench coat. Excuse Classic. me. Excuse me. Well, I wasn't correcting you. I was just noting that it was. it's a trench coat. <laughs> Sorry. I'm ill today. Life is long. Nice. Well, I'm um, glad you're here. Fashion is forever, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had one other thing, which, uh, this song suspicious. I was, when I first moved to Miami, I had the privilege of my friend Lazaro Rodriguez moving in later on. He would come to throw these really cool parties in Miami uh, called Dick Parties, and they were DIY, gay-centric, uh, generally far-out, kind of debaucherous Miami parties. First time I ever played with Greg Beto was there. Awesome. Uh, his brother, Ariel Beto, rest in peace. Um, Lazaro's a really formative person for a lot of people, and... When he lived with me, we lived in this apartment that was really small, but lots of sunshine. And this would be something that in the era of like ripping bongs all the time would constantly come out. And when you're, for me, as a kid who was straight edge and then start smoking weed, you hear a track like this and you hear the harmonies and it, and then, you know, the pulsing bass line and everything. It was like the perfect thing to be turned on to at that, it, it melted me. With the sunshine and the harmonies and the, the <laughs> and weed, it's sad as fuck. You're you're you're, you're you're making making it sound like a Beach Boys song. No, I mean it's really bleak. <laughs> but it kind of is. It was, yeah, well, when you're living in a place like Miami, you have these. No matter what you're listening to, there's these imposing external factors. So like, it, everything takes on this mutated form because you're listening to it in heat. You're, I mean, not like a cat, but like you're in, you're being melted away. <laughs> Or maybe in heat. Or not. <laughs> Back to the getting laid. Miami, thing. horniest city in America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, I, you know, this this just completely just melted me away. And, and uh, you know, it. I still listen to it. It's kind of had the same thing as that Robert Hood, that same effect as Robert Hood. Those are the songs I like. Those are the ones I thought would be fun to interject into this. I, I, I like them as a triptych, too, because it, it, yeah, it great. covers a lot of ground. But paints a very vivid picture, um, of both you personally, musically, but also of just a, a just a strange image of music. 
What's wild in New York now? I don't know if there's, I don't like, I don't know. Is it just a young, you have to be a certain age to like have these experiences even. I always wonder that. That's what I'm, that's what I'm curious of with all this nightlife and especially careers and all this, because you vie as a performer and a DJ and an artist to, uh, maybe you don't intentionally do it, but you, you, you kind of do fundamentally align yourself with the, the thing, you know. I'll, I will say, like, as far as the weird party, the attendees ranged from 16 to 50 easily. <laughs> uh, it, it was the most diverse crowd. Right. Uh, not, 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 not like kind of racially per se. I mean, like. Well, this is the other equation. It, it, was, it was definitely like very white leaning, but I mean, certainly like not by no means exclusively. But it was one of the more diverse crowds as far as uh, age range, kind of cultural aesthetic, uh, sexuality, uh, gen- gender, uh, gender presentation. Um, right. This makes me think about, so I bartended this poppy juice party here. And by a lot of accounts, I hated all the music. But I started to wonder, it was so free and open and, and diverse, actually, that it actually fulfilled what I'm hoping to eventually come to. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, like in an actual, like this is this is the actualization of this utopian agenda that right. the, democr- the democracy inherent in electronic music should provide. And maybe this is like kind of like community college philosophy 101, but like I, I'm really, I'm really interested in, in this kind of stuff more so than like going to fucking, you know, the, the new fucking BDSM, uh, hardcore party. You know, this shit sucks. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I got, I'm, I'm really interested in like where. <sighs> and people actually coming together. From yeah. I mean, I think that's, is that silly? And, and Am I, no, no, no. I mean, no. I think, I think you're, what you're touching on is something that we keep trying to touch on on the show, which is the feeling there's, that there's a lack of community. Um, there's a, that there's a lack of that sort of uh, binding of of sort of yeah. and and community not and again like community not being like the people that you know but like literally the people you live with in New York it seems like you're able to compartmentalize and segment off social uh, groups you know and when I was like just going back to like being in Richmond this weekend. There was a lot of kinds of people there because there wasn't anything else to do in fucking Virginia that weekend. The Richmond scene feels really. I, I'm going down again next month, and they're good friends down there. And it's the cool. scene there is so pure. It's so small, but it's so earnest, and it feels so free and so genuine. And, and there's that, a lot of those. There's a lot of those. There areas. is. Yeah. And I, that's something that you just don't get in New York, where the barrier to entry is so high. Yeah. Um. You know, the actually just going to the party is expensive here. Um, and that's, that's an immediate block. That's an immediate block. And then all the other cultural bullshit, all the things that are constructed to exclude people from going to the party. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's really, uh, I don't know it. Oh, there's one more thing I'd like to, t- I'd like to get your brains on is this idea about, um, rarifying your own commodity, rarifying your presence like, do you see sort any like like creating artificial scarcity in a sense? Artificial you know? scarcity of your artistic resource, right? And you mean both you as a performer and as a, like the physical commodities that you produce, or? Well, I think you should always put out as many records as you can before the medium is obsolete. Like truly, <laughs> I, I like really don't. I think oh this, fuck, that's the biggest kick in the ass that anyone has given me in years to make music. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, it's going to be done and then what are you going to do? You're going to be on like Bandcamp or whatever like fucking uh, like, sharing fuck. platform exists in 10 years? I don't, I mean, you, you think we're going to really see like a hard end to vinyl? You and I got drunk like two months ago and like talked about how it's well, going to stop. Well, no, I, it's I don't, always going to exist. I don't think vinyl will stop completely. I just think there will be a lot less of it made, a lot less of it sold. Exactly. So we're already at a place where I think 
like one like in term and maybe this is like not interesting to listeners but we're at a place where artists generally can respectively count on selling 300 copies of records if you start yeah, going I mean, into the 600 pressing realm that's pretty good now <laughs> you're in you're talking some crazy shit like yeah. i know one person who i know has had to repress their record three times and like i can't i'm i just I don't know how right. that works. Whereas, like even five, six years ago, selling like if you sold two, three thousand, that was that was pretty good. If you sold five thousand, that was like that was pretty insane. But that was five, that was six not six years a, ago. You think? I mean, I well, I know certain people who were selling three to five thousand records five, six years ago, yeah. and that was that was that was considered you know those mm -hmm. were hits, right? You know, but there's like like lies records, for instance, like some of the better sellers were selling. Two, three okay, thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, then, okay. No, oh, never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just don't think. Well, I don't want to just talk about the, the scarcity of. I think the duality of like I'm a DJ and I'm a live musician. I can do both. I'm going to ask for a bunch more cash when I play live because that's more special. Right, more work. I. But it, what like if you're if you're a fucking if you make, if you're, if you're a architect, you build houses, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if it's more work. You just do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's part of the thing you do. It's more work to do. I don't know that. And then like learn how to juggle or I don't know how to, you know, maybe that's ridiculous. I, you're I saying work is relative to the amount of work you've previously put in. Work is relative to the definition of the job specificity. So it's like your task is to go jam for an hour or like rock the house. Uh, this idea that it should be scarce is it plays into a toxic mentality. It plays into a toxic mentality of, of like kind of capital and commodity based interests. And I, I think that's widely pervasive in a uh, musical community that should be inherently kind of radicalized. And I, I and again, Community college philosophy one hundred and one, but I we're, we're it's all missing. about it's we're like, all about philosophy one hundred and one. Uh, <laughs> all about community. We're all about all about community college. No, <laughs> all about community fuck college. privatized college. Yeah. Fuck privatized college. Chat shit. No, let that be the opener of the show. Community college is sick. <laughs> fuck college. Part of why I'm going or why I'm trying to immigrate is because I want to get to go to school. Because I want to find uh, a way to just keep doing the thing I do. I'm, I, I, I want to teach. I want to, I want to discuss. I want to do whatever activity can isolate me and separate me from the things I don't like. The, what's weird though is like vi like vinyl production and that community. It seems like the university system is also systematically like deteriorating oh god I'm oh yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah like like academia has been under pressures that uh, make our like trials in the music world pretty laughable for a very long time yeah i mean since since you know my college friends graduated to the ones who stayed in academia they have been through pretty insane things yeah um my mom is a is a she's the head of a dance department at a christian college in florida and she has a PhD, and it's in educational leadership. And she basically all but discourages me from even participating in the entire. Right. Yeah, which is a the biggest mindfuck. Uh, well, the roughest thing there is that, like, you know, I think like wanting to, like, first of all, wanting to learn is a an amazing, uniquely maybe not uniquely human, but. It's 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 an amazing, wonderful human impulse that should be encouraged and yeah. actualized as much as possible. And then, accompanying that is the desire to teach. Is a great DJs great thing. are DJs are tenured professors. <laughs> and live acts are good. and live acts are the adjuncts. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Maybe done. it's the other way. Done. I'm done. Done. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you for listening to uh, this. What is it? Fifth episode? Fifth episode, yeah. Episode five of Basecamp Beta. Uh, brought to you from brought to you control from headquarters here in Brooklyn. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna drink more and eat more pizza. That sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Bye. Bye. Mm -hmm.